It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. You're listening to the Go Birds Pod, a radio.com podcast about your beloved birds. Philadelphia. Hello, everybody. It is now officially Go Birds number 156. On a uh, another awful weather Tuesday in Philadelphia. Can't quite figure that one out yet. But uh, L.A. Shore Parks is here. The hair is nice. And is the holiday shopping done for you? or we Mostly. Mostly. Mostly, yeah. mostly everybody's done. I have two more people to get. but I, So I went to the mall to shop. And like, man, it really is just so much better shopping online. It's just <laughs> terrible. Like it was just... And I used to really love going to the mall. But... Not so much anymore. I think I'm. I think I'm off that. The uh, I, some there are some that are still worth going to in the area, but well, I don't want to talk about any specific malls because you never know. But <laughs> let's just say I did not. I just feel like it's better online. You can like sit and think about it. There's no pressure. You can like figure it all out at the same time until that thing doesn't show up in you know shipping and then. True. Well, if you do it far enough bit. in advance, I mean, who does that? Who does their Christmas shopping that far in advance? Well, what about you? I mean, what is it today? The seventeenth. You have <laughs> what week and eight? Yeah, day, I'm pretty much days? done. I'm pretty much done. It's just the you know the parents are coming in. Oh yeah. So we got to figure out. It's always something like at this point. In if you're this old like me, and you know, like everybody, real, like really old, like really old, right? Uh, and everybody understands the concept of all, all this stuff and. You just get to a point where you just don't need things anymore. You know, it's I just agree. better to shop for yourself. It is uh, great to see the joy of kids' faces, which is the point of this holiday, at least for me. So, well, the joy really on my face presents. too. I feel like, <laughs> like everyone wants. Thank to, yeah. God, I got this new exactly. airbrushed. Uh, I don't know, whatever. Technology. You are just strictly like technology present guy, right? <sighs> I don't know. I like workout clothes. <laughs> I guess stuff like that. I don't know. Apple stuff. watches and workout clothes. Well, I have an Apple watch now, yeah. so you know. But yeah, well, I'll be interested to see what people get me. I'll, yeah, uh, yeah we'll I'll be judging. Us, so I, anyone that's listening, although no one that actually cares about me listens to the pod, so <laughs> just send food. That's yeah, all j- I'm exactly. Yeah, send food, and we'll all be uh, be uh, pretty happy here. Um, I wanted to expand on what we were kind of talking about uh, on our post game pod, which. Is definitely worth watching and or listening to, rather, because you can't watch a podcast. It'd be weird if you Good just call. didn't watch a podcast. But, uh, you know, we, we're getting into it, like, uh, Greg Ward and his development and all that. Uh, and it clearly seems to everybody that there is both of those issues at hand. There's talent evaluation. There's also a development, you know, situation that uh, everybody kind of buys into here. 
But I, I'm really curious what you think is the more damning thing right now when it comes to that. And I still think it's talent evaluation. I, I think it's really hard to pinpoint. You know, there's there's clearly a development issue too. But I think the baseline of what you're supposed to work with is has been really bad the past couple of years, uh, and that's unfortunate. It's just, um, and and and, I, and it's not entirely true. I think coaching has, you know, not been great. And there's a lot of questions about Corey Unlin and the cornerback situation and like skill positions all over the place. I think you can make an argument for everybody in this. But when you look at this Eagles team, what do you think is the more damning issue right now? A t- it's a tough question in a way because I think if you ask the question of wh- who do you think is better at their job, Howie Roseman or the assistant coaches, I think everybody would probably say Howie Roseman. But I personally think it's the talent evaluation just because I think that when it comes to player evaluation, so Greg Ward's a perfect example. Greg Ward has come up and played well. I think that as with any player that comes up and has a big game, sometimes how good he is gets overblown. I mean, Greg Ward is a good NFL wide receiver. Yeah. And I think the coaching staff deserves credit for getting him to there. I mean, he's obviously coming from being a college quarterback. Uh, a few years ago, G.J. Kinney tried to do the same transition. It didn't work. So it is very tough to do. Greg Ward doing it is a credit to the coaching staff. It's a credit to Doug, to Mike Groh to uh, Carson Walsh, even Gunter Brewer, who was here last year. So they developed him. That being said, I think that the front office has a lot to do with who plays on the roster and who is out on the field. So like from a player development standpoint, I think the coaches are actually doing a decent job of getting these guys ready, but I don't trust the front office in two regards. One, Howie Roseman has a track record of being bad at drafting. Yeah. Or at least like... Not great at it. Now, it's really tough to draft. I'll say that. But J.J., at least now, looks like a miss. And I get it's early, and who knows what will happen next year. But as of now, looks like he's not going to he, – he's he's a miss. So is that player is that player evaluation or, or is it coaching? I think it's an evaluation. Sidney Jones, that might be health-related. But regardless, with the cornerback situation, they brought in a lot of guys that are supposed to be good. And I just personally – like I never thought Ronald Darby was that good. So I don't think – that's coaching. Uh, you know, so I, I go back and forth, but I tend to lean player evaluation. Uh, I think so, too. And that's a big part of it. Now, the, the argument for development is like, well, you know, look at how Miles Sanders has done. And you look right. at, you know, Deuce and what he does there. And that's that's been true for a very long time. I think you can look at that and go, yeah, I mean, he did it with Corey Clement because Miles honestly had similar issues uh, where you look at Corey and you go, all right, is he is he that much of a ball catcher? And it was the same thing. And over time, and a few off seasons, and then during the season, you felt him get really comfortable in that pass blocking. He was terrible with it, and then eventually, like it's it's better now. Do I think right. it's easier to coach up running backs? Probably, you know. And it's just a, one of the most transferable uh, positions when you get into it. But you you obviously see with Miles and these guys that you know experience is still king in this league. And now you're seeing Miles Sanders really flourish after your last week. So you can lock that down. And then one of the things between talent evaluation, you just brought it up with the corners, like Corey Unlin, uh, even back with Chip, was supposed to be this great guy who develops this talent and whatever. Couldn't you make an argument that Jalen Mills is much better than he was when he got in here? You know, and it's still a good... Now, it's tough because he got drafted in the seventh round, but I think he was under, or I guess, yeah, underdrafted because yes. of the off-the-field stuff. So talent-wise, he was probably not a seventh-round pick. Right. But, I mean, Avante Maddox, better or worse than last year? 
probably probably, probably about worse, the, about right? The same, I guess. Okay, I don't but know. you'd probably lean worse over better. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. So I don't think he, at the very least, yeah, I don't think he's improved considerably. Uh, Rasul Douglas, it's so hard to tell because they never give him consistent playing time. But I guess See, I just don't think he's that good. They they don't think he's that good, right? Yeah. So well, yeah. I don't either. <laughs> you don't either. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Rasul Douglas, if he was given a chance to start for like fifteen games in a row or something, would maybe would be good. But, yeah, yeah. Which is like something that you have. Uh, we kind of hinted around too, and we're we're talking about Ertz and a long term, you know, extension here that is that is possible from Adam Schefter on Sunday, and then like doesn't that slow down the development of Dallas Goddard at that point because he's not being right? Uh, uh, and I don't think that was ever the the issue there. My biggest issue through both of these subjects is more or less like I don't think that there is one voice in that room. And saying this is how we're going to do things. It's always been collaborative, collaborative, collaborative between Doug, between Howie, between Jim Schwartz, between all these different departments that are here. And we've now have reportedly evidence of Jim Schwartz going like, "I just want to do my own thing and pick my own guys at this point." And maybe Doug is in that too. But that's that I think is a bigger issue than like, yeah, they can't really evaluate talent or and they can't really coach it up in the same time, which is which is totally possible as well. But I, I think that there's not just one final voice, and that is leading to a lot of weird drafts and a lot of weird draft picks. Oh, and see, then it's a tougher job for these coaches to coach. I kind of lean that there is one voice, and that it's Howie. And I don't. Now you're right about the Schwartz about the Schwartz thing, right? I mean, the Jeff McLean report, and yeah, that, that seems to be true. That Schwartz has a lot of input, um, and the Eagles talk a lot about collaboration. And I think Howie listens to people. But at the end of the day, Howie's making the final decision on all of these guys. Like even with Jim Schwartz, Jim Schwartz can say, "No, I, I don't want that guy. I want this guy." But it's Howie's decision ultimately, and it really comes down to if you trust Howie or not. Really, I mean, because he's been doing it for you know what eight years now. Maybe obviously there's 2.0 and there's 1.0. But when you look at his whole resume, is Howie a guy you have a ton of confidence in to scout talent and to be and to say if his scouting department goes, "Okay, here's the three guys we think you should either sign or pick." Is Howie, can we trust Howie to pick the right guy there? If it's coming from the scouting department, yes. Oh, see, I don't think so. I, I, mean, I do. Yeah. But, but what, I, that's what I think they've been ignoring, that part of it. So they, you, you think they're not listening to the scouts? No, no, not as much as they should. That's what I'm saying. And there's so many hands in the cookie jar that it's, right. it's causing this thing. And to me, when they had, they told us they had this thing set up between. Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas, and I forgot the term that they used, and it started know, in like 2017. It was remember, like this yeah. hexagoggle, blah, blah, right. blah, some really long technical term that they created on their own to evaluate these guys. And, and essentially is like if Howie knows someone that knows the player or Joe Douglas worked with them in Chicago, like right. it's that type of thing. Yeah, and so I, I don't see the greatest results from whatever that is or whatever they plugged into it. Um, and even then, it doesn't sound like you know, would you say, was it fair to say that, that Joe and Howie were on the same page a lot of the time? Or do you think that that's in question too? Yeah, I think they were on the same page most of the time. I also think sometimes it's hard to, uh, it's hard to know with drafts again, because like Doug says, I mean, not Doug, like Joe will say, okay, I really like these three players. And then Howie picks. So like Joe liked the player, but Howie picked out of the three. Now maybe Joe would have picked number one instead of number two, who knows? But I think mostly they were on the same page. And I mean, when you talk to Joe, like he always has nothing but positive things to say. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's just uh, th- then maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, ever, ever since Joe left, it seems like everybody had gotten their well. It's still their, early their say too. In for this particular year, and I think that's what has stopped them. I, all I'm saying is I want 
uh, a more concerted effort for the the scouts and Howie and everybody that's involved in doing that because it seems to me like they have ignored some some of that like because uh, I don't uh, it, it's it, or or whatever they're looking at in their process. You look at JJ Ortega Whiteside, right, and he is. Uh, by by some analytics and by some athletic scores and whatever the fuck a dominator rating is. Do you know what a dominator rating is? No, I did I not. I just learned about this new thing. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside's right in there with Terry and DK and all the guys that, um, you know, end up getting bitched about is my microphone just, you know, totally dropped out there. I apologize <laughs> to everybody. Uh, but I, I, it doesn't seem like that. that's one issue. And then the second issue, it doesn't seem like front office and coaching is on the same page either. Or well, that, that you can see that throughout the year yeah. where they'll play a guy a ton on Sunday and then he's cut on Monday. I mean, the Andrew Sandeo thing is a perfect example. Like, for whatever you thought of Andrew Sandeo and how he was playing, the coaching staff was playing him a lot. Right. Englund talked about how much he liked him. The safeties coach talked about how much he liked him. Schwartz did. And then the front office cut him for a future fourth-round pick. Potentially, I think, is, is what yes, it was. yeah. So... Yeah, there's certainly some disconnect there. The same thing with LJ Fort and the same thing with all that. And I know that they spun that into, yeah, it's a numbers game and we needed more corner help and linebacker is kind of like a luxury for them. I and get they'll that, say that. So th- that's kind of what they'll say about Greg Ward, too, when you talk about why he's not up. They'll say, okay, well, we had the three healthy guys, obviously. And then Matt Collins does different things. Like Matt Collins was a special teams guy. Matt Collins is a run blocker. So like when you're constructing a roster, it's not just – adding the five best receivers. It's saying, okay, well, what can the number four and five guy do? And Greg Ward maybe couldn't do those things. That being said, like the passing game had struggled all year. Greg Ward was in the building. He has come and, and played at a fairly high level, right? I mean, he's caught, I think, almost all the passes thrown his way. He's, he's, been, yeah. he's been good. He made a great game-winning cut, touchdown catch. So it's kind of like at a certain point you have to say to yourself, maybe this guy can't do what Matt Collins did from a run-blocking perspective, but why is he not up on the roster? Why can't we find another way to use him, especially when the offense has struggled all year? So I do think that goes somewhat on the coaching staff, but then it's also in the front office because I do believe there's a part of this team where they say, well, Matt Collins was a fourth-round pick. Derek Barnett was a first-round pick. Ronald Darby traded a third round pick for we just signed Malik Jackson so we don't need Chris Long right so I, I do think that they allow off the field and like investment money draft capital to really impact who plays now maybe all teams do that but I think it's especially prevalent with the Eagles uh, the one argument for development and it's the biggest one to me that you could argue Carson Wentz has gone backwards and I don't think that's arguable at this point well, it depends if you ever think he was an accurate quarterback. Because, I, I mean, he now and again. Well, they fixed that in, in, in 17. Yeah, they were also, I mean, I it think. Was trending, I, it was trending in the right direction. It was direction. trending in he the right direction. Had, yeah. Still had accuracy issues. Right. But, yeah. And, I mean, look, he's been injured, too. So, I don't know how much of that is coaching. I mean, I do think, like, Filippo was a veteran coach. And Press Taylor is, like, basically Carson's age. Like, they're, yeah. like, four or five years apart. So, I think there's some difference in that. But, you're right. I mean, Carson, at the very least, certainly does not seem to have improved. Well, and here, here's my argument for that. So we both agree that is Carson Wentz's best throw of his career in the corner of the end zone to Miles yeah. Sanders, right? No doubt about Just it. Just in terms of impressive. I mean, yes. I don't know if it's the biggest in terms of like meaning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, it, it was could, an unreal throw. Could argue that the Corey Clement throw for Monday Night Football against Washington, too, was, was a much like harder right. thing to pull off. W- w- however you feel about that. Right. Here's my issue. And a lot of people tweeted this at me because I was I was like, man, I keep rewatching this play and I'm feeling great about it. And the coaches tape finally comes out last night and you're going, holy shit, Dallas Goddard's wide open on that play. Like wide open. Like for a touchdown? Like a, the, and if we're talking about NFL windows, it is as large as it possibly could be. Uh, he shook the 
safety corner, whoever was on him enough to stumble, and he's turning into his route, and you see Carson Wentz go, nope, and then peel out and then go find Miles Sanders. So he actually made it incredibly hard on himself. Right. That's why, I, and this isn't the first time in the last couple of weeks that we've seen certain things like that. So is it that he just doesn't understand what he's, what he's looking at anymore? He doesn't trust it? He doesn't do all that? Like, I don't think that's Carson Wentz. I, I have a hard time believing that Carson just goes, I don't trust myself to throw to this open wide receiver. Oh, yeah, that's is, definitely not it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is Carson came into the NFL with the, uh, you know, everyone said, okay, he's a great football mind. Yeah. Like, really knows the game. He's great on the whiteboard. He really understands football. You know, before the snap, he's very strong. And I think you've certainly seen that at times. But what is interesting is when Doug talks about the best games Carson has, he always brings up things like, you know, I think he's really starting to understand the offense, or I think he's really starting to understand where to go with the ball. So maybe we kind of overstate how smart Carson is from, from a football perspective. And I don't mean that as a shot at him. I just mean like he is only midway through his, what, fourth year, right? Yeah. So he's still a relatively young guy. So when you mentioned missing Goddard, I do think sometimes Carson doesn't see the field well. Now, on that play, he got the touchdown. He made an impressive throw. So... It's hard to yeah whatever I'm just right. saying but you're in right the I mean look if there's an easier the yeah, yeah, if there's, yeah if there's an easier throw that would be made and he's missing it that's concerning and I do think that's something that the coaching staff if you read between the lines is pretty consistently said about Carson and it flies in the face of Carson has a is a really smart football mind but I do think Carson needs to improve and I also honestly think that's why when they've had other quarterbacks in there the offense sometimes runs smoother because. You know, Folds was a veteran guy with a lot more experience. Yep. Even when McCown got in there for like six plays, it was just kind of like bing, 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 right? So I, I do think that sometimes Wentz makes it harder on himself by not seeing the field. Yeah, and that's 20 plus years of experience versus, you know, four. Right. And that's why people get all, why is why does the offense look better sometimes? Or why is this? And it, and it simply could just become down to that. It's just like, if you're talking about development, I mean, quarterback's number one and yeah there are other factors in there but I don't think Carson is holding himself back I think this coaching staff has kind of done that or made a decision this year on we're just going to stick with this and I I keep going back to we got to make him a better pocket passer got to make him a better pocket passer and it took how many weeks ago like you know what just let him go and do his thing let's let's roll him out a little more why did it take so long to get into tempo like there's there's this thing again where coaches always do this Schwartz is just as guilty of it and he just looks at things and goes you know the common saying is I'm just going to do what my players do best and work my system around that and play to his strengths the only person in the NFL that can actually say that is John Harbaugh end of story Otherwise, and Bill Belichick, obviously, because that's what that's his big philosophy right. too. But I don't see that happening here. I see still uh, on both sides of the football, Schwartz and I see Doug saying, "No, we're going to stick with this. We're going to stick with this. We're going to stick with this." They're not adjusting to anything, or which adjusting is funny because really that's what late. everyone said about Chip Kelly. Right? Yeah, I yeah, mean. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, essentially that. Right. Uh, now, the thing I, but it doesn't co- mean that cr- I don't think the creativity is lost. I just think that they're. They're folk. They're trying to to be. They're distracted by like twelve different things that are happening here, and it's well with Carson in development too. It also comes down to: Do you believe you can turn a guy that's a not an accurate passer into an accurate passer? And that was kind of the thing about Josh Allen last year, and he's just the most recent example I can yeah. think of. But he was based. It was basically like, look, in college, Josh Allen was not an accurate passer. And it's hard to turn someone that's not into that when you're in the NFL from that point. Right. That's what people were sour on on Josh Allen. Now, Wentz obviously was considered more accurate. He was coming, he was the number two overall pick. Josh Allen, I think, was 
seven or eight. So he wasn't like that surefire franchise guy that Wentz was viewed as. But the bottom line is this is if Wentz does not become an accurate passer, they're not going to win consistently with him at quarterback. Just because you can't win consistently when your quarterback is not accurate. It prevents you from putting drives together. It prevents you from stringing wins together. So it comes down to now the player development versus the evaluation. Like, was Carson the right pick in number two overall? That's obviously an extremely loaded question. But if his main flaw is accuracy, the question is, can the coaching staff fix that? Or did, yes, to that. Well, but yeah. or is the coaching staff being asked to do something that can't be done? Uh, that's Im- I, I personally, I think that's an impossible thing to not improve on okay. year after year on your own. Like you're still going to have accuracy issues, and you even saw it a little bit like when Carson is just like, "Fuck it, I'm going to go play my game on." this other fourth quarter drive where he's perfect, like on every scenario. You have to just have that feeling almost every single time. And I would say like the opening drive of this past week was another example of going, okay, there, that's the car scenario. I'm just going to be a confident guy and I'm just going to not let it rip, but his mentality, it looks kind of like that's happening there and you're going to miss, but you're not going to miss as much from year to year to year, and the positive plays will still continue to grow as opposed to, like, you know, those really weird, man, why'd you miss Ertz there? Or right. why'd you miss Goddard there? Or whatever. Uh, or why are you throwing to Greg Ward on his fingertips and not allowing him to go make a play, which would have been a first down? Stuff like that is always going to improve from year to year. And I think the with same- just knowing the offense, too, being yeah. more comfortable where you're going. Like, a lot of things we see with Carson is he's late with a lot of balls. Yeah, yeah. And that's from not seeing the field as well or not anticipating. So I think that'll improve as well. Look at Donovan McNabb for an example. What was his biggest thing? His biggest, you know, like, oh, here he comes again, the warm balls, right? right? But it, there weren't as many warm balls in his career as it continued on and that was his way of also protecting the football as well as keep it low keep it Whereas out of the Lentz hands of the is, in- now I know last week he, he went low but <laughs> yeah. Wentz is normally high which yes, is which, which is, is funny because he doesn't but he also doesn't really throw a lot of interceptions right yeah that's what I was going to say with with all that Donovan didn't throw many interceptions Carson still doesn't turn right. over the ball his bigger issue is holding on to the goddamn thing you know which it's is big you issue. get loose it's a big issue and that's because of the things I'm talking about when you miss Dallas Goddard and then your instinct is to, well, I'm going to drop the ball and I'm going to run around. Oh, nope, I'm going to sit in the pocket and then there's that. Not sure what he's there. doing. Yeah. So I, I don't know how, you know, much longer that's going to take in terms of resetting that part of his game because it looks like it's been thrown off. But yeah, even even in impressive things, you can still see like yeah, if this was a loss, we'd be talking about that. Right. You know. So I mean, especially the time the time where it happened. And I think that's still the the Eagles' biggest issue over the last couple of years is they've trusted the results more than they have their process and you're left with th- this this particular thing. Um and I also think that they're premium positions, but when we're talking about guys like Derek Barnett and we're talking about the corner, uh, the the amount of stuff that they invested in the corners, and you're still going. Thank God that they signed Brandon Graham, right? And and all these other different and all these vets that are here and this and that. Like that's why I still think it's talent evaluation. You can't pour that much resource into here and come up empty. Like I'm not saying that I Derek agree. Barnett is not uh, unproductive. Well, but. this is so I was thinking about this in uh, against Washington. Barnett's been out for how many games now? Uh, we're at is this two? Three? Okay, so yeah. I would argue the fact that you can't just say three games shows how little impact he has. Yeah. Like, like when you talk about each week in the, in the injuries, it's like Lane goes out and everyone's like, oh my God, how long is he going to be out, right? Uh, when we talk about injury reports, Jordan Howard, every week fans are like, come on, come on, come on. Barnett goes down and it's like, 
Doug forgot to mention him yesterday. He's like the fifth guy that's asked about. That's yep. supposed to be your premier pass rusher. I mean, really, like I know that Fletcher Cox, I guess you can bait if he's your premier pass rusher. He's your most important defensive lineman. But Barnett's supposed to be better than Brandon Graham at this point. He was a first-round pick. He's a top-15 guy, and he's out, and no one even really talks about it. So I think that really speaks to the type of player he is right yeah, now. Yeah, that's 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 very very true. Like there's they're not missing anything on that. Pass no one seems like, concerned he's gone. No one's like no yeah. one says, "Oh man, it's going to be so much Barnett tougher back. to beat the Cowboys without Barnett." Right. And they're what they're saying is, "Man, I hope Fletcher Cox doesn't turn in that performance." Again. Right. Exactly. You know. Uh, yeah. So that, that another thing too. And when we talk about the defensive line, like you went from one guy who I thought everybody liked in Chris Wilson to. Derek Barnett's specifically to get him ready to go. Yeah, and I thought that was a weird decision. The defensive line coach, and the next thing you know, you're just going like, okay, what are you de- like? What are you doing to your draft pick? So, uh, just because it's a it's a this or that, and traditionally we like to do a lot of these things just to see where your opinions at. I think both are an issue, but uh, uh, the I don't think they have good a, a, as a teachers as they think they do. Maybe like two or three are outstanding. I think right. Doug's a really good teacher. I don't. It's clear that Mike Rose is a great teacher when it comes to the wide receiver position, but you it's a can't different really, job when you're a coordinator. It's yes. not really teaching then as <laughs> yeah, much. as You're it is learning, like, yeah, right. So, game plan that type of thing. And the same with Press Taylor here too. So this is what I want to say. This is my ultimate take out of all of this. All right, fucking get rid of all of them, <laughs> and and the majority of them too. And I'm not kidding. Find a real student. Find or excuse, yeah, no, find a real student, but more importantly, find better teachers because you don't have them right now. You don't have them on the defensive line. I'm very skeptical that the corner position has a, a great teacher, even though Corey Allen has a phenomenal reputation <laughs> for it. Get rid of Jim Schwartz. Get rid of all of this because it's not you're 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 going to do the same things again if you. Keep My this hesitation whole thing with that though, especially when it comes to Schwartz, is and also a receiver. I'm receiver coach. Like it's hard to find good assistant coaches. It's not easy to do. Like I agree. if they get rid of Jim Schwartz, is it a guarantee they'll get a better coordinator? Like, no, nope, but, so. but you're also not going to improve either. And well, that's, I don't that's know. You I can mean, go backwards. I mean, it should be the same team. Yeah. Yeah, but but uh, well, that that brings us to the next topic yeah, with the defense. Yes, I'm not as concerned about the defense as other people are, and I realize I don't know why I feel the way. It's just how I feel. Like. They always get kind of get stops when they need to, short of the Dolphins game. They've played pretty well in, I would say, at least five of the last seven games, if not yeah. six of the last seven. If And I like I thought the stop against Washington was a perfect example of Carson fumbles it. I mean, where, where do you fumble that at? On their own 29 or 30. Something that, right? Yeah, Very yeah. close. Defense holds them to a field goal, if I'm not mistaken, on that one. So I think that the defense overall has played good enough to win outside of Miami. And so I don't get why everyone's so concerned about, like, well, if the defense did it, like the defense all year, pretty much, except for two games, I guess three, um, three, three of you yeah. in Miami, the Eagles have played now, what, 14 games, 15 games. And the defense has been, I would say, pretty good in all but three of them. Yeah, this is to me, this is more a process versus results thing. Like so they didn't play well in Seattle. Scoreboard didn't necessarily reflect that. Like, right. you know, uh, there is time and time again, there is someone that is fucking something up in the secondary completely out of place every single game you can guarantee it just like we knew that terry was going to score a touchdown because of course you know Razul douglas is going to get handsy with somebody and he did the amount of penalties that they have on there at any given time if they face a good offense granted you just said a bunch of teams that are not good miami's not good you know that's more concerning the only only difference is miami's not good but ryan fitzpatrick and Devontae parker are both good and that's really the only thing that killed him i guess just Mike Jacek, he had the one touchdown. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 
No, I mean you're right. But you can only play who you who you play. I know, but I'm right. saying that because uh, a reflection in, and this is, is a, a great like look at home versus away with this defense too. Home against Seattle and the Patriots, they held them better than freaking Miami, the Giants, <laughs> Washington, Washington away. Right. You know, like now Giants were at home, and but like Giants, well that too. But Giants yeah. also to me are a perfect example because like the defense really struggles early on, and so then the. The kind of takeaway from that game is the defense was bad, but I don't think they allowed a single second half point, or maybe, I, yeah, I don't think so, right? Because seventeen to three, and they won twenty three to seventeen. Oh yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. so like the defense stepped up when it mattered, and it really comes down to this. Although I will say Carson over the last two weeks might make this a bit of a tougher thing, but who do you have more faith in going into next week? The defense allowing like twenty points or less, or the offense scoring in the high twenties? I mean, same. They're both equal to me. You think like, so? Okay. I, I don't. I and that's the difference in why. Like when we react to the post game pod, and you see the Cowboys kicking the shit out of the Rams, and you're going, the Rams aren't like a bad defense. The Rams were playing good, yeah. Not like that. And they were they had all this momentum. It's the same thing. Like the Eagles have all this momentum. It's at home. Right. Things are supposed to be breaking their way. Uh these are two seven and seven teams that aren't that great. The Eagles have the better coaching staff overall, probably. You know, so uh to me it's about looking at what Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper and they've done this to this team ever since Amari's been there. It's the same thing. You are guaranteed a touchdown against the secondary. Yeah. When you have good playmakers like that. When you have Devontae Parker, you're going to score a touchdown. When you have Julio Jones, when you have Gabriel, when you have all these other speed guys that are in there, when you have Terry McLaurin, you're going to score a touchdown. That's a given. When you have Stephon Diggs, touchdown, touchdown. Every example that these guys have given against speed and not good quarterbacks right. or decent quarterbacks has been disastrous. You yeah. know, like it's, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I mean, you're right about that. They've all scored touchdowns. But yeah. I just still feel like, I don't know why, I just still have faith in the defense. And maybe I'll be proven wrong after this That's Sunday. a big game, and they, they've shown up in big games. <laughs> yeah, well, so I, I will say against that. Minnesota and Dallas earlier this year, they did not. Yeah. But I was also thinking this in terms of you know deciding who to pick, and I, I think I'm going to pick the Eagles. But time and time again this year, when like when's the last time Doug lost a game they had to win? It's a good point. It's been a long time. I mean, you figure Green Bay this year had to win it. Had he to win. It. Buffalo had to win had it, to won win it. it. Last two weeks had to win it, won it. Uh, Rams, Texans had to win it, won yep. it. Playoff games, obviously. Right. Four and one. Um, even in 2017, won the Rams game, won the Raiders game, won the Giants game, then obviously won the Super Bowl. Right. <laughs> so, but I mean, in serious, like, has Doug ever lost a big game? It's a very good question. Not the, not the one that I can I mean, the really Cal- think of. I would say, like, in terms of have to win games, no. Big games. I think the Cowboy, the first Cowboys game was a big one. Yeah, lost that one. So it really comes down to that too. Like the the Cowboys don't have to win this game, or I guess actually uh, they probably they, would. Yeah, I guess they actually have to. Yeah. Well, I mean, they wouldn't. More be than eliminated. likely, they would have to. It's yeah, not it's, like they lose not in the eliminated, round, but more yeah. than likely, the Eagles right, are going to yeah. be the Giants. So and the Cowboys feels like they always lose games. They have to win. Yeah. Well, except for last week. You that know, that's yeah, a game that they wasn't have a, to win. They I have guess to win that. Game. It's kind of the same stakes, though. I mean, I know they're now elim- they wouldn't be eliminated, but I mean. It's an important game, but it's not a you absolutely have to win it game. That's true. Um, but then again, I guess maybe the Green Bay Packers game isn't then yeah, on that yeah. same. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, I still think the track record of Doug winning games where it's like they really have to have this one. Like every time it's about to sink, it seems like the Eagles come back. I think yeah, that's, pr- that's a promising sign for Sunday. That is why I know Doug's a good coach. Is no yeah. matter the circumstances, everyone eventually seems to be on the same page. 
because it's really hard to control 53 guys when shit is hitting the fan constantly. So I also like, think, and you you actually might have made this point, but I also think we don't give Doug enough credit for having to coach 53 like veterans. I mean, there's like no young players yeah. in those yep. teams. <laughs> exactly. and, they, and they all like, I mean, Jason Peters, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but Jason Peters does what he wants, right? Yep. And, <laughs> as he should. Yeah, yeah as he should. Jason Kelsey's yeah. a veteran. He knows how to take care of his body. Right. Malcolm Jenkins, all these guys, right? Like Doug didn't exactly get a coach, get to coach a team that he's got to mold. And I think that is tough. Yeah, for sure. So I feel Doug, again, we've had this conversation, but Doug Howie Carson, I have the most faith in Doug. Uh, same. Uh, and that's, and, and it, uh, honestly, that ties, like Doug and Carson, I can't separate them. So I put them in the same lump, and that's why I well, don't think I mean, there's we, any. We all saw them separate. I'm just saying, we <laughs> <I> saw. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, that actually like really does kind of change my mind about the potential of beating Dallas at home. Right. Factor in that the defense is better there. Doug's been great in high pressure situations. Offense is, I mean, the offense uh, is moving 30, 31, better. Thirty-one last week, twenty-three against the Giants, thirty-one against Miami. Yeah, so it's better. It's it's ticking upwards, and there's a there'll be a ton to get into as we'll break everything down here. Um, I, uh, I I do want to get into some of our favorites. Favorite Dallas memories, and honestly, Elliot's got a great article about not necessarily ranking, but just the best right, yeah, Dallas wins over the last 20, order, so. 20 years. Uh, is uh, it's really great to kind of go and reflect on some of these. Uh, it is brought to you by Liquid Death, who is, I mean, come on, guys. So we've we've been telling you for months now how cool one these guys are just as human beings, and uh, it's really great to see somebody take something that they just decided to do right. this past May and to see where it's grown now. It's phenomenal. Liquid Death, it is your only water that you need in your fridge. And water is the best drink. It is. It it, it is the best drink. So it's a very easy decision. Exactly. At the end of the day, like you might crave you might crave a soda, you might crave like an iced tea or something, but nothing tastes better or refreshes your thing better than water. And we're obsessed with it in this country and obsessed so much with it that it's created a huge plastic problem. I also I don't like (laughs) I don't like eating with anything but water. Like, I hate when I'm having a meal and, and I have, like, an iced tea or something. Yeah. Just It doesn't quench my thirst. And it cleanses your palate, which allows you to enjoy the food a little more. So. Right, like, I don't like to drink beer when I eat. Yes. It's like eating two meals, essentially. <laughs> and if your head has been under a rock for whatever reason, a Liquid Death is a 16-ounce aluminum tall boy can that has the coolest-looking flaming skull punk rock metal type of looking the logo uh in it's uh, the reason why i picked it up in the first place is like there is no way that this is a water can and it allows you to just you know walk around with a very cool can in public at parties wherever and it's it's a conversation starter it freaks people out as you guys know like one of our listeners got stopped <laughs> in a step to station and be like hey you can't drink beer down here so uh what they're doing as they've always been doing liquiddeath.com you can just Sell your soul. If you feel brave enough to do that, they'll give you a case of water for free. But if you're already in the program, uh, it's pretty simple. You already have no soul. Yeah, yeah. Like me. I don't have a soul. (laughs) I don't know if Elliot's Elliot's just hanging on. Uh, We'll see what happens Sunday. (laughs) Mine is long gone. And that is why I just use liquiddeath.com slash go birds. It gets you $2 off of uh, every case. I think there is no argument for 44 to 6 in terms of like big biggest games biggest spot biggest reactions to that yeah um uh that that is always a personal favorite it's a personal favorite for everybody but 
I mean, yeah, that one, obviously. And what's interesting, I did go back and look, because that was what year? 2008. 2008, yeah. yeah. So it was 10 years ago. So I was 22 when it happened. And I mean, yeah, obviously, like you go into that day. I still remember like reading the newspaper that morning and being like, (laughs) okay, what has to happen for them? Like, so obviously that was a great one. Um, I mean, the the Nick Foles, 24-22 or whatever it was, Brandon Brandon Boykin Boykin, with the pick. Uh, I was looking at pictures of that this morning. It's funny to watch all the guys like hug Chip and like, McCoy is hugging him. Brandon Boykin, who ended up we hating him, did it. Yeah, yeah, is uh is you know celebrating. And that was kind of like the first big win of Nick's career, right? Big I would time. think. I yeah. mean, he obviously had the seven touchdown game and exciting wins, but that was yeah. kind of you know play basically a playoff game in Dallas. So, but what's interesting is when I went back and looked, almost all of the big games have gone the the Eagles' way. A lot oh, of interesting. Them yeah, yeah, yeah. December seventeenth or seventh, the two thousand three. Uh, Eagles win thirty six to ten. Um, oh yeah, that was, that was that crazy season. They go two and three uh, to start the year. Yep, go all the way back. Get entered at nine and three. And I think it was Quincy Carter that played in that game in two thousand and three. Oh, wow. And that was that <laughs> no, was no, that sounds right. Yeah. That was the year uh, they were two and three. Westbrook returns a punt against the Giants. They win a bunch in a row. One of those losses though was against the Cowboys. So it's weird to think of two thousand and three when this team was probably the best. It's maybe ever been other than 2017. Yeah. Uh, I guess the T.O. year too. But like 2003, that team was competing for a division title in like week 15. Yes. Which is weird. Yeah. And the only game that I can think of that you have in here right now because it's just around the same time. We're all hanging on there. And what does Jeff Garcia to say to us in 2016? Merry Christmas. Shout out to Larry Poff because that's how that's how his friend. Is he still around? Is he doing okay, by the way? You know, we had him out a couple of Christmases just see ago. The, just, just see the pictures all the time. <laughs> I hope he is. But yeah, that this this is leading to a potentially number one of those if Carson Wentz just staring into the camera and saying "Merry Christmas, Philadelphia." <laughs> we'll see you next week, and this week, and all you know. Well, you know, you know, he's a big Christmas guy. <laughs> yes, I don't course. think he's saying Happy Holidays. <laughs> no. He is saying he's Merry Christmas. Saying Merry Christmas. And uh, I, I was saying this, and uh, we can maybe talk about this more in the preview pod. But I do think, and you're going to actually hate this a lot. Oh, good. Th- this is. I mean, this is the first game I would say of Carson's career that you could argue is like career defining, like up until now. I agree with because you. if Carson, right? Well, but you, you but yeah, you but don't, don't think it's the, the biggest, which is weird. Said, yeah. Well, he's only done it two more times prior, to, two times prior to this. But regardless, like if Carson loses this game, we will, it will be it will be with him all off season until he wins one. I think there's an argument made if Carson wins this game, it's kind of like a bit of a reset on his career, just in the way that okay, you beat the Cowboys, you're going to the playoffs, you've to a certain degree, overcome what you've been through. So a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, the, there is a ton of pressure on him. And they haven't beat Zeke and, and Dak together. Ever. Ever. Right? Uh, and that there's a lot of things that are, as much as we're saying, like Doug has not lost in one of those big pressure moments yet, Carson has. So it's yeah. it's it's a... It's the it's that time again to just be like I, you've done it two weeks in a row. You've had your warm ups against Scrubs, and now you're probably going to have to dance big time in here. And I would I don't know what the over is right now, but I would take the over. I would also say, and I'm sure I'm, this comes across as being a hater, but I do think if they lose this game, like if Carson plays really poorly against this game, it diminishes what happened the last two weeks. Which is why fourth quarter comeback. I just aren't feel that, that way. Well, no, they are they are important, but <laughs> but I do think it takes a bit of the shine off of them. I don't want a fourth quarter comeback. What I want this week is just an absolute fuck you. You know, like the the Cowboys are coming off of this insane high, uh, and 
whatever. If that leads to somehow Jason Garrett getting another contract, I'm all for it. But I don't want a fourth quarter comeback. I don't want a close game. I want to shock the world. That's my intent into this week because it can you imagine how we will all feel if it ends up being like 31 to 17? Oh, it'll be insane. I mean, then they go to New York next week. Fans of Philly is already potentially going to be going. Yeah. That works out. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think like they win this game convincingly. We'll the, see. Then, I mean, then, then I can start believing in the moment. And if that happens. Or just win, honestly. Like, I, I, no, they just need to win. Right. But I'm just saying uh, for me. I, I w- uh, that's the statement that I'm looking for. You know, I, this is this is not a good football. Well, team. they haven't and delivered that the statement. And- I, I, yeah, I know. But if there is any time to do it, please, God, whatever it takes, start fast and don't let up. Like that's what we have not seen from this team all year. I I don't think we're gonna get it, but that's what I'm hoping for. Well, and that's my biggest hesitation. <laughs> like I really do, for some odd reason. In the same way I have an odd amount of faith in the defense, I have an odd amount of faith right now in this team overall. And it's just like, I know what's going to happen. Is it yeah. the game's going to start? It's going to be ugly. And I'm going to be sitting here being like, why did I think they had turned a corner? <laughs> and then maybe they'll win. But you're right. I mean, if they come out and like it's 21 to three midway through the second, I would be stunned. But yeah. it would certainly be the statement that this team hasn't been able to make for. Oh, I mean, since the beginning of last yeah. year. And whatever you got to do, clearly you're fucking defer on the kickoff or whatever it is. Because <laughs> that, that was a joke. I know that the Cowboys were going to lose anyway, but like, oh yeah, sorry. We listened to the tape during the coin flip and we're not going to tell anybody until we roll out at halftime. And be well, like, sorry, Sean, he did say defer, so right. my bad. Yeah, I mean, but, like, I will say if that happened to the Eagles, though, people would be... Like be being like you better, out. yeah. I'd be like you better give the ball at the second half. Well, no, 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 I agree. It's the dumbest rule on the planet, it, and it's also a dumb rule. Like yeah. he was very clear as what he meant. We want to kick. Like what? What, what are they thinking? Well, we actually oh, want to kick hold on to both the ball halves. And yeah, possession and right. kick. Yeah, all right. right. In this dome that we are playing. Um, and anyway, it should be uh, an interesting week. We'll be back here Thursday. We'll really break this thing down. We'll have uh, injury updates. The coaches are speaking actually in about a half hour. Uh, from when we're recording this, so I'm sure there'll be some. Uh, no, there's never any updates yeah, for Schwartz or yeah. Grove. What am I talking about? But um, uh, injuries, uh, we'll have to see if if Derek Barnett is practicing again this week. More importantly, Lane Johnson and the others. But we're really excited. It's Dallas week. It's a huge week, Philadelphia. So thank you so much for listening and tuning in every single time that you do. Uh, and make sure whether you're on Spotify, uh, Apple Pods, or wherever you're listening to us, leave us a, a good review. Uh, they do go a very long way. Keep them coming. Elliot reads them all the time. Every day. Uh, appreciate the love it. and the hate all, all together <laughs> and all along. As long as it's five stars, hey, uh, it does not matter. So for Elliot Shore Parks, I'm John This is actually episode number 156 of the Go Birds podcast right here. Radio.com, Sports Radio 94 WIP. (laughs) 